Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Firestarter, the new Peacock adaptation of the Stephen King story, uh, is out, and Randy and I both paid the price of admission to get stupid Peacock and watch it. <laughs> Pe- Peacock's really, really a middling platform, man. I didn't. I thought maybe oh, there'd be God. some more value there. It's five bucks for the premium membership, and I, I was, I, I watched Firestarter, and then I canceled my membership. There's nothing cool on there. There's nothing cool at all. I was very disappointed. Anyway. I was disappointed that I, I signed up for the free tier and Firestarter is not available on the free tier, uh-huh. only on the paid tier. But they, they don't it say looks that. like it is, though. Yeah. Yeah, they the don't promotional... say that. It, yeah, they don't say yeah. that anywhere. When you scroll through the service, it's like Firestarter, 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 sure. watch it now. Yep. No, you give, give us your email. We promise we'll give you good content. Yeah. I mean, I guess most, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about Peacock when we get down to it. We're also are taking a look at Ex Machina, the 2014 film from Alex Garland, uh, who most recently is directing Men, which is out in theaters this next week. Ex Machina was his first film, an Academy Award winning film, believe it or not, and was a big upset when it won in 2015 over uh, a couple of other big features that I'm excited to tell you about. When we get to our review, when you talk about the future of Marvel, uh, I think it was Van Variety put out a great summary this last week of just where the last like 11 or so Marvel properties have left audiences as far as c- continuity goes. And uh, there's some questions about where Phase 4 is headed. And normally I wouldn't care too much about comic book movies here on the show, but uh, these movies make a lot of money. Big, bold uh, box office numbers. And we are the home of bold cinema, so we're going to talk about it. And we also need to get to the news. Uh, First things first, uh, Disney Plus powers to nearly 138 million subscribers beating streaming expectations for March quarter. Andy, you found this story. What do you you know about this? Well, in in the time that Netflix... Um, lost 200,000 subscribers. Disney gained almost 8 million, uh, about 7.9 million pay, and that's paying customers, uh, which brings them up to about 138 million overall, and that's across all three of their services, which is Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. Uh, So they're catching up. They are gaining on Netflix. Netflix still has a huge, the biggest chunk of the pie at 221 million subscribers, but uh disney not so far behind oh disney's actually at 205 million they have 138 million just on disney plus so they're 15 million short of catching netflix and they only came out three years ago yeah the beginning of the like not even quite the beginning of the pandemic a little after Um, 2019 yeah bear like two and two and a half years that's crazy it's it is bananas and it's hard to deny at this point that disney plus will be one of the a uh, handful of things that really defines former CEO Bob Iger's legacy. I mean, him bringing in Disney into a streaming platform was tremendous for them. And this is a company that was originally charging 30 bucks per home video clamshell of their Disney VHSs. Like, Disney is not typically prone to just making their stuff widely available. And it turns out people want it and they're willing to pay one low monthly subscription fee for it. They're having a ton of success over here. And good for them, they should. They got their Star Wars shows. They got their Marvel shows. I do wonder where all that's going. But like I said, we're going to talk about that in the middle of the show. Uh, for now, they're 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 just killing it. Like they they can't be stopped. The house of mouse is simply too big, and it's a problem for Netflix, who is like steadily losing people at this point uh, on the other side of the fence. Yeah, Netflix is going to have to just kind of figure out what they're doing, do things differently because the this churn and burn of just like making as much content as possible, no matter the quality, um, isn't paying off. And they that's one of the first things they've done is really, really cut back on 
on uh, production. Uh, that being said, as far as this is good news for Disney of their subscriber rates, they were actually still down uh, for their earnings uh, for this quarter. Um, I think mostly due to uh, still recovering from the pandemic. They had to pay a huge licensing fee over like over a billion dollars, probably to Netflix. It's it's uh, wasn't spe- specified who it was, but it was for uh, basically contract termination. And I think that was those shows like um, Daredevil, Luke Cage. Um, that came over from Netflix. They had to pay pay to buy out of that that contract. So down for the overall overall quarter, but the subscriber growth just continues to grow. And this summer they're going to be opening in some markets overseas. Disney Plus will like South Africa and some other places. So they're going to grow even more. I tell you, I think Netflix needs to come around on this idea of like producing content in house again because they so often license stuff out from other studios. Uh, just just this next week, we're talking about watching Jackass four point five, and Netflix had to pay Paramount for that because normally that'd be on Paramount Plus, but now Netflix is paying another streaming service for the rights to get it over there, and it's temporary and it's going to go away. And when Jackass goes away, the people who are there to watch Jackass are going to go to Paramount, and Netflix is going to lose their subscribers. Like it's they just they seem to have this kind of approach right now where they just kind of float from month to month and they'll they'll commit to something for a season they'll maybe take on a new show for one season maybe two and then they'll cancel it and the people who were there to watch that stuff leave i i think i think streaming services are finding that like core shows like core properties that bring people in and keep them there are what works marvel shows star wars hbo does this with their premium series uh apple tv has a couple of these ted lasso stuff like that um Netflix doesn't have anything. They don't have anything real sexy. They have, what, what do they got? They, Stranger Things. You they got know? Like one show four? that people that people know. Yeah, Stranger yeah. Stranger Things, and that's that's taken forever um, to develop. And yeah. Disney has, you know, they're coming out with three, three or four uh, Disney shows a year, if uh, probably more than that. Um, yeah, and Netflix doesn't have anything to get excited about. That's platform only. No. You know. No, I, I know we talked about it last week, but like, how are they only on Stranger Things season four? What, who at Netflix decided just to let that property sit like in in hibernation every other year? It's it's a terrible. We idea. we should have already want had content now. Yeah, like I I don't want to have to wait eight years for four seasons. Yeah, we we should have already had like two movies and like yeah. six seasons of this, or you know, or spinoffs moving. You know, who knows? There's there's yeah, a whole the community for there. Six seasons in a movie. That's what I should have. Just Stranger Things right now. Instead, I'm coming up on season four, and all the kids look like they're walking out of college. You know. Uh, and, and anyway, it's uh, gonna Disney be, Plus. It's gonna, it's gonna be like Saved by the Bell, the college. Movie, you know, be Stranger <laughs> Things, the college. Yeah. Year. Right. Yeah, we're going to have Screech walking around in the back talking about the Upside Down. Uh, Disney Plus is going to continue to kill it. We here on Offscript will continue to cover it. And our next story, uh, I shouldn't laugh. The Rust producer, (laughs) uh, the producer of the film Rust is confident that they'll finish the film after shooting investigation, but there is no actual plan. Uh, This is coming out from the producer of the film Rust, the Western film starring Alec Baldwin, which had some controversy last year uh, when a cinematographer was tragically uh, shot and killed on set. Uh, The film has been in essentially deep freeze ever since, and uh, producer Anjul Nagam uh, came out recently to EW and said uh, he thinks he's confident they'll be able to complete the movie apparently this was not a statement of fact this is a statement of feeling he just thinks they'll be able to complete it but there seems to be some intention to knock this thing out andy uh (laughs) i shouldn't laugh like what do you think like this is not i don't know 
I mean, like films good, are, right? are expensive endeavors, and a lot of people have put money into this. Alec Baldwin, I'm sure private investors or other studio money, um, the, you know, they're going to want to return on that investment. You can't just shut it. Like, if they shut down, they'll lose 100% of every everything. If they f- figure out a way to finish it, um, then at least they can try and 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 who's not going to watch it? I'm definitely going to watch it because I'm going to be like, this is where this is before. <laughs> right. Is this, this is the be- shot? Is yeah. this the shot where it happened? Right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, at this point, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's a historical yes. thing at this point. You know, like, any scene I, in that film where where Baldwin shoots a gun in a church, you're going to be thinking that's the scene. This was the one. Like, it's going to have this energy around it. You know, it's it's cursed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's like watching a. You know Heath Ledger's last film, yeah. uh, The Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, which he only half finished. Um, you know they, they just had to figure out a way to get through it, and they did. And it's a bizarre film, and I've I've watched it a couple times. Um, yeah, like every everyone's gonna see it. I don't know who's gonna get it. it yeah, maybe it goes to Netflix, but um, everyone's gonna want to watch just to see what this whole thing was about. No matter how mediocre this movie might be, but I mean, I think there's just probably too much money wrapped up into it, and they're like, we we gotta finish finish this thing and try to sell it to someone yeah like it's it's got this weird energy around it's it's like brandon lee in the crow right when yeah. they had to film the last bit of that movie without him or even like that john candy movie gone west like where he he passed away like a few days before the end of the shoot and they had to like matt paint him in and like pull some weird like it's just weird you know like and, and i bruce lee it's the same thing uh yeah i think they did they do the same thing with bruce lee and brent really I think they did do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce Lee was like, yeah. The, yeah they he yeah. he he had filmed the very end of Game of Death, like just the the end fight scenes. Yeah, and they hadn't filmed any of the rest of it. Uh, but so they had filmed. So they had the very end of the movie and the rest of it. Uh, and they just do like, oh, they just alter the script to be like, oh, you have to be in disguise. And so there's yeah, like they, these they big a guy with sunglasses. Wig. Yeah, or yeah. Something. There's a, there's a yeah, whole lot yeah. of that. Oh god, you know. I don't know. Like, I, I, you're right. You said it at the top. Like, movies are expensive, right? You don't just trash that. Like, just because something went wrong on set. Like, they probably shot over half this movie. Why not finish it up? They had to get those sets. You know, they, it it takes a lot to put one of these things together. But uh, you know, I don't know. This is this this is the, this is supposed to be the first movie from this new studio, Persona Entertainment. Their else the other film coming out is now called False Awakening. Like, they don't sound like particularly juicy features. Maybe it'd be okay to just let this one, you know. Let this one sit on the cutting room floor. A lot of media has been lost to time, you know? Like, that's okay. <laughs> I don't I don't know yeah, if the world we, needs to see Rust, right and it just thing, feels weird releasing it, you know? The right thing would be to just stop. Exactly right. Like, everyone go home, pay out your, your contracts. Listen, we're, yeah. we're done. Yep. Um, it was a tragedy. You, you, because yeah. then, you, cause then you memorialize, be like, this was a horrible thing. We're not going to continue this. Sure. We can't We can't move on emotionally. Yeah. We're, we're Leave stuck. the first half of it on a hard drive somewhere. You know, let somebody upload it to YouTube in 30 years. Like, just to, but like, you know. But like, he's, but like, but because there's, like I said, probably a lot of money wrapped up in it and you're standing to lose all of it if you don't complete the project. Yeah. They're, they're going to make it happen. There's a lot of people hoping to get paid. Like, that's usually a thing in movies. You get paid when the box office returns come back. So if the movie doesn't get made, you don't get paid. And that's an issue. So I, I don't know. That's 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 rust. 
Lastly, uh, a little bit of Star Wars news. Uh, this week, Kathleen Kennedy, uh, the head of the Star Wars division of Disney, sat down with Vanity Fair and gave a really interesting interview about the future of Star Wars. And there's a lot of good stuff in here. And unfortunately, I don't pay for a Vanity Fair subscription, so I didn't link the Vanity Fair I've got. I've got IndieWire here. <laughs> I've got knockoff Vanity Fair. Uh, but we're, I just wanted to review kind of a few things that were talked about. And, and, and the first thing, most importantly... Uh, to me, at least, Kathleen Kennedy uh, cited the failures of Solo on the back of essentially its young actor, Alden Ehrenreich, uh, by saying that Solo was a bomb uh, and that they shouldn't ever try to recast Star Wars fan favorites. Disney should never go out of its way to try to cast a younger version of an older Star Wars actor or actress. Uh, and Andy and I both think that's a tremendous misread. disagree. <laughs> Yeah. horribly misread um really really odd andy can you explain to the good people at home why that's why that's wrong so yes there are fan favorites which i think is a problem that people can't get over certain actors at this point star wars is kind of entering the realm of like kind of how comics are something like batman where we have different actors playing batman every five to ten years different jokers and you just kind of it's like shakespeare you, you just recast those same parts but for some reason disney is deathly afraid of recasting anyone um and solo is just kind of a weird movie it's not a particularly good one and that's why it was a bomb it was like it's a you made a bad movie and it was it bombed because it's bad not because you didn't have a good lead like it, you could have had i mean it, they went on this huge search and decided on on alden ehrenreich uh it could have been anyone like it it really doesn't matter it, it's not like some it's not like the joker it's not like this incredible performance that you gotta squeeze out of you know out of thinner you know you're playing a, a rough cowboy loner type like that a thousand actors could do that um this definitely wasn't <laughs> wasn't alden ehrenreich's uh fault yeah, like I, I one of the things I like the most about Alden Ehrenreich's performance in Solo is that he wasn't trying to play Harrison Ford playing Han Solo. He was just trying to do his own read of Han Solo, roughly within a framework that obviously is Harrison Ford esque. Like it felt a lot better because it stood on its own and it worked as a performance that would be separate in time from young Harrison Ford when you see him in Episode Six piloting the Millennium Falcon. It was fine. I'd say the same for Donald Glover playing Lando. Given he's definitely leans a bit more on the Billy D. Williams like sass, but for what it's he's worth, great. Like, I don't see everyone loved yeah, him. Neither neither of them were the problem. Like that wasn't the problem with Solo. The problem was you hired Phil Lord and Chris Miller to make the movie and they shot it. A lot of it improv-esque in, in a tribute to kind of Han Solo's maverick style, and you guys didn't like it, and then bailed and hired Ron Howard to try to fix it. Like, that was the core issue with that movie. And it's frustrating because this is the studio that's putting deep fake Mark Hamill in The Mandalorian, right? Like, this is the studio that's going to have... Mean a body oh, double stand in for young Luke Skywalker and then you're going to deep fake his face on which is okay I guess but at some point like it's just distracting and yeah, there's nothing it, wrong with casting young actors and actresses for older performances really I guarantee you if you if people if you don't want to move on and do something new which Disney is deathly afraid of also doing yeah. um, then don't be afraid to just go back to the well but re recast like I've said this a bunch do you do like the young adventures of, of Luke Skywalker and recast all your favorites with modern actors and like people will get over it. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll have, you know, certain nerds uh, t madly typing away on their keyboards, but so what everyone's still going to go and everyone's still going to watch it. And at the end of the day, it was just solo was just a bad movie. It was yeah. very mediocre, forgettable, like make a good Western, make a great space Western and it'll be fine. Yeah. 
additionally, other things that were mentioned in this Vanity Fair article were the idea that the return, the, the, the future of Star Wars will be televised, right? Uh, streaming is the way they want to move forward. Uh, there's going to be some films upcoming, but that seems kind of unsteady for now uh, to hear Kathleen Kennedy talk about it. Uh, Ryan Johnson is no longer doing a trilogy of Star Wars films, or that's on hold. Uh, apparently this was announced in 2019, but I don't recall it. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, uh, D.B. Weiss, the creators of HBO's Game of Thrones, are no longer associated with Star Wars. That's apparently some older news from 2019. Um, I, I mean, Taika Waititi supposed to have a Star Wars movie coming out sometime between Thor, Love and Thunder and his next Vanity Project, which he's going to be doing immediately after that. Patty Jenkins is supposed to make a Star Wars movie somewhere between Wonder Woman and Cleopatra, but I don't know when she's going to do that. She's doing Wonder Woman 3. I don't I don't know what they're doing next. And Kathleen Kennedy wants to stray away from terms like trilogy because she said Star Wars is a ever, is a ever, ever present growing piece of yeah ever present storytelling. Yes, ever present storytelling. Um, they're doing the Marvel thing, right, Andy? Am I am I am, I'm I'm not yeah, crazy. They, yeah, they're looking at like five ten year arc, five year arcs, t- ten year arcs, mm-hmm. um, things bigger than than three movies, but uh. Yeah, I don't know how Marvel is so organized and how they've managed to stay on track for so long. Because most movies, they get derailed by this thing or that, and it throws off the schedule. And like Marvel, they like all these movies have to come out in specific order to, to more or less make sense of the larger timelines. And like Star Wars can't put together two films back to back that that are coherent. You know, they've had a hard time making one film that, that's. A, you know a coherent story and not just fan service i think rogue one's probably the strongest of of these the new star wars films that you know were made in the last five years or so yeah um i i i'm i'm, I'm particularly upset by by the news about ryan johnson might not i mean they say he might still do it he might still make the trilogy but i mean kennedy seemed to, to be really vocal about his success with knives out and those are both movies going straight to netflix knives out two and three are going to netflix he they bought it from ryan johnson for like 500 million dollars um so that's what he's doing right now he's making two netflix movies uh he's got his own he's got his own thing going on uh i'm i'm bummed because it, it feels like the further we get away from it it seems like he's going to be the the talent that star wars really could have could have had that it lost you know um and it's a bummer that it seems like he's not going to be too associated with it anymore but i mean they're their loss i guess this is yeah this is what I, happens I, you, when you don't plan a damn trilogy and you just I start was, putting it together yeah i was saying this before the show i mean people want to criticize you know the last jedi and uh you know it scared the fans or it made 1.3 billion dollars that's a massively massively successful movie yeah. so like you don't have to you don't have to please the, the fans you can Say okay, get over this, nerds. And like, yeah, move on because that—that's what I lo- love about Ryan Johnson. Like in an interview, you you hear him talking about that. He just starts to laugh. He's like, "Oh, your childhood, boohoo!" Like, you know, he's just like, "No, let's move on and do exciting things." Yeah, his brashness definitely didn't help in interviews. But for what it's worth, uh, Last Jedi is aging like a fine wine, at least currently. Uh, I was just reading an article a few weeks ago that I posted. Ruin Johnson. About, yeah, about, about how Star Wars fans are looking back and being like, actually, it's kind of nice to see a movie that I couldn't predict. And like, man, it was cool to see surprises in the theater again, you know? Um, you're not going to get that with Star Wars for a little while. So I don't know. It's weird. If I was Kathleen Kennedy, I'd be concerned for concerned for my profession. But she's also the head of Star Wars, so I'm sure she's fine. You know, she's not going anywhere. But yeah, I mean, like the um, the TV shows are doing great. The merchandising's doing great. Yeah, it yeah, might be doing but, better on TV than it is in film at this point. 
Well, on the other side of the fence, like I said, I, I do want to talk about Marvel, but we're going to do that in between our reviews. Uh, we have been talking about news for a while, and we should get to it. So I'm going to take the summary on our first film. Please excuse any clumsy delivery of mine. Uh, the movie is Firestarter. Daddy. What's going on, sweetie? Something feels weird. Something's changing. You remember the tools we taught you, right? Pencil. So Firestarter is a direct Peacock film. This is straight to streaming. Well, it's also out in theaters too. I take it back. But watching the film, it feels like a movie that's straight to streaming. It is the story of a young girl and her two parents who are on the run from a mysterious government-like organization, if it's not actually the government. Uh, the film stars Zac Efron as the lead father, Andy. Ryan Kira Armstrong as Charlie McGee, our young fire starter. Uh, Sidney Lemon as the as the wife, Vicky. And uh, Michael Gray Eyes as a hitman named Rainbird, or really like a mercenary. <laughs> uh, it is a 90-minute romp. It is a Stephen King story, so you know it's a little spooky, a bit of horror. And, um, God, I, I didn't... Well, no, I think I, I think I did a decent job explaining what we're getting into. Yeah. Uh, Andy, what do you think of Firestarter? So someone sent me a thing that this was 13% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which is 12%. extremely low. I think I yeah. sent you that. Even lower. No, even lower. Because <laughs> someone the first one I saw was 13%. Oh, gosh. And so and it had dropped even from when, when you... Uh, but, pe- but we have to remember that Rotten Tomatoes is an aggregator, and people often think of it as like a, a grade, like A, B, C, D, E, yes. F. Yes. And so you think, oh, you, you, you made a 10 out of 100. No, it's, it's just... 90% of the people didn't like the film. That's right. so that's how it is. So I I went in with pretty low expectations. Um and I just thought it was fine. I I I thought it had good bones and I think it had good structure and a lot of potential. Its biggest issue is that it's made on a TV movie budget. Everything's mm-hmm. done on the cheap. The locations, most of your supporting cast, the effects. Um there's a lot of potential for to have done some really exciting storytelling here. I think if you had done this movie on like a thirty to forty million dollar budget, you could have gotten something really pretty special. Um, so, but for what it is, I, I I think it's fine. There's some cringy moments. There's some part laugh out loud things. Um, oh, but overall, like I thought, it, I thought it was fine. Like, and uh, you know, I, I had a fun time watching it. It's not too long. The original is apparently really slow and a full two hours. So this was a, a quick like ninety five minutes. Yes, uh, the original. I didn't. Did you ever see the original film? I never did. No, I, I, uh, I maybe at some point or another. I've never yeah, it came out in '84. Uh, you might remember it. It starred young Drew Barrymore, like hot off the heels of ET. So she's like, you know, little, little baby Drew, Drew Barrymore, and she was the fire starter. She was, you know, she, the posters got her hair blown up and the fire in the back. I, I don't know. I feel like if you saw it, you'd recognize it, but I never saw it either. I, I didn't know what I was getting into, and it was gonna be a little little kooky because Stephen King, and it's like '80s King. So this is like before he got hit by a van and was still like madly doing coke and blowing out like twenty. <laughs> six pages of writing a day so like you know it's gonna get a little weird and it does there's like a secret organization right you got these people on the run there's psychic powers yeah 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 yeah. very 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 80s uh, almost a little mk ultra cia paranoia kind of stuff uh and that's fine i i think king does that stuff well the script's a little wacky but it's adapted from the original story and again that's coming from uh, c- coming from the fingers of an absolute maniac uh I, I think you're right. Where the money is spent here is on Zac Efron and Ryan Kira Armstrong. I didn't know. Ryan Kira Armstrong did a season of 
uh, American Horror Story. So she's got some horror under her belt. And she was also in It Chapter 2, which is also a Stephen King adaptation. So she's got some experience. And Efron, obviously, can carry carry a role as a father. But other than that, like it's pretty chill. You have Kurtwood Smith in a very brief role. He's only in one scene, and then he's got some VO. I thought he was going to be more relevant. But other than that, it's pretty much all unheard of. So the director, Keith Thomas, this is his second feature film after a movie he made in 2019 called The Vigil which is another very small indie horror. Didn't have a lot of success, but I think, I don't know, I feel like I heard some rumblings about it back in the day. Um, it's pretty tight. And that makes Firestarter on Peacock a, a like a made like made for cable movie. It's like a do your laundry in the afternoon kind of film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you can totally. get up and go, go throw some laundry in the wash and come back and you wouldn't have missed a whole lot. Um, it, it's, it, you know, yeah, yeah. Any 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 thoughts on that, Andy? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I just unfortunately, it is that kind of movie that you can be on your phone uh, half the time. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's just kind of simplistic in it in its premise, and it's. Uh, I mean, I think the performances are fine, and there are some there are some moments where I was like, if this were done on a bigger budget, it would be really great. Um, I don't. I'm not familiar with the original novel, but uh, the father, uh, played by Zac Efron, is telekinetic or a psychic of some sort himself uh, and the only issue is whenever he uses his power which he, he says a push like he kind of force people to do things a jedi mind trick essentially um he can push people but it, it it hurts him and he does this thing where his like blood will come out of his eyes and it's pretty rad and i was like this could go this could have been something like uh, yeah. on the, on the high budget better makeup and costume and stuff this could have been like so you, you could have had even better horror stuff. Um, yeah. Um, it, go ahead. Yeah. And we also get some of those with, with the fire. I mean, fire is a very incredibly destructive uh, thing. And we, we get some, you know, so, some pretty rad effects. But again, on a bigger budget, it could have really been something shocking for the audience. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's I, I think... This film feels like it should be a part of something larger. I, I was surprised to find when I told people I was watching this for the show, there were, there were a lot of people were like, is that a movie? Because they thought it might be a series. I did too when I originally saw like the trailer for this. I felt like this was going to be like a six or eight episode something. And it feels like in, in times that's what it should be. Because uh, yeah. the film often kind of just moves through scenes very efficiently. Uh, like you said, Andy, our father, played by Zac Efron, is psychic. His wife, uh, Vicky, is also telekinetic. Uh, and their daughter has powers as well. So the, so the first like 20, 25 minutes of Firestarter start strong because you're kind of figuring out where they got these powers from and what association they have with this shop. They're living like completely off the grid, no Wi-Fi, no cell phones. The daughter doesn't understand why. So like that first, that first act is kind of a bit of a family drama and it's surrounded by like these mysterious powers that each one of them has. Andy uses it as his job as a life coach to kind of encourage people to stop smoking or whatever, to, to push them mentally. Uh, his wife just, I don't know. I don't think she has a job. She just kind of stays home and takes care of, of uh, Charlie and, and Charlie, the daughter, is going to school and trying to manage this like feeling that she's trying to stuff down that she has this ability. Um, and, and that starts off pretty well and good, but then it, it gets moving really fast because after a, a, a flare-up, no pun intended, of Charlie's power at school, uh, a, a, a mercenary shows up uh, named Rainbeard. 
<laughs> it was a rain uh, rainbird rainbird i'm sorry rainbeard jesus rainbird <laughs> yes shows up which has I'm got like, to be the lamest assassin yeah. moniker well, like, it's like but it's like 80s king right like i can't yeah like if it was made if this was an original screenplay i'd say oh this is awful but like it's you know i i get it like you know it's, it's the that would have been the perfect time to tie into the greater uh stephen king universe yeah uh, name, him, name him something from somewhere else it's true. Rainbird is, is played by an actor named Michael Gray Eyes. Uh, he is actually Native American, which is cool. He's indigenous. Uh, he's an indigenous person, uh, which apparently the original role was supposed to be. That's how it is in the book. And then the twenty the, the 1984 film cast George C. Scott in the role, who is not at all Native American. So I think fans of at least the original work were pleased with that. If you've read Firestarter, um, that might be something to look forward to. Uh, he arrives at the family house and says, well, I've got to take your daughter. She, she's got to come to the, the, the organization that's called The Shop in, 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 the, in the movie. She's got to come to The Shop with us. Uh, and, and that's where they break out and take off on the run. And from there, it kind of turns into like a clumsy sort of road movie where they don't really get on the road or do anything. And then it quickly leads to a like kind of clumsy third act. It's confrontational and, and people use their powers and like that. That's really the problem. I think the first half of the movie kind of works and then it, it just kind of gets thin. But you do I, get a lot. Of, go ahead. Right. I, I haven't read the novel, but a lot of a big complaint of Stephen King is that he'll come up with these great premises and great beginnings of stories, and then he, yeah. he, he like doesn't know how to end it. Like Pet Cemetery is a great great example of that, where you know he can come up with with the premise of the supernatural, but then even even uh, it is is a little bit of the, that same way. Uh, and <laughs> right. we have that we have that here too, where you know there's kind of this big action sequence, but um, and our main character just kind of comes into her own, becomes comfortable with her powers. I feel like this is a queer analogy, by the way. Uh, yeah. fire fire starting yeah. um and but but yeah it's it's very cliche cliche it's very like, it's very 80s in that like you know the, the secret government entities uh coming after you um that trope has kind of evolved a lot more into something more like the surveillance state but this i this idea of like a bunch of white vans like an et uh coming to to chase you down is very old old school and dated and that that yeah. probably needed an, an update yeah. Um, as far as the filmmaking goes, uh, it's 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 really simply shot. Uh, there's not a lot of like really interesting camera movement. It's pretty safe lockdown shots with good good medium coverage, simple lighting, lots of studio sets. Um, it is cool to see Zac Efron do his thing, and, and the effects are decent. I should say the eye bleeding thing is kind of cool. I do like the way the push is kind of put together on screen visually. It's very subtle. Uh, and I, I, I think the fire stuff is good, right? Like any, any, anything where fire's exploding on screen is rad. And there's a couple scenes at the end where Charlie is, uh, really getting to know her powers. Uh, and she is just like throwing flames on screen and like that stuff is clearly, you know, that's, that's clearly some dedication. Additionally, it's worth mentioning, uh, the score for this film might be the best thing about it. Uh, the score for this film is by John Carpenter, uh, yeah, director baby. of The Thing and Halloween. Uh, he has done a lot of scores for his own films. Uh, he did the score most recently for Halloween Kills. Uh, and he was supposed to be apparently the director of the 1984 
Firestarter. He wanted to do it and he was stoked to do it and he had a whole vision for it. And then his 1983 film, The Thing, came out and bombed at the box office, which has since gone on to be a cult classic, but it bombed and the studio got freaked and they pulled Carpenter off the project, so he never did it. Somehow he got involved with doing the music for this one. It's great. Like, I, I would go listen to the soundtrack on Spotify. <laughs> the, music for, the music for Firestarter is very good. Um, very synth, very 80s, very dark. Like, a, yeah. Good, good stuff. Any, any any thoughts on the filmmaking and the soundtrack, Andy? I did really enjoy the soundtrack, and I did see when I saw that it was John Carpenter, it was like, makes total sense. Yeah. Um, uh, again, some of the I, I think one of the issues I do have is that our uh, our our titular Firestarter has is, she's kind of overpowered. She like kind of she's a little op. She needs a nerf. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, because when once she kind of gets angry and just starts set, setting everyone on fire, like you can't really stop her. Yeah. And so I, I feel like you needed to introduce some sort of like conflict or something that that she couldn't do or something that she couldn't overcome just by fire fire alone. But that's a, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a writing issue. The movie does not spend a lot of time explaining like the 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 value of her power. Uh, the people who work at the shop definitely seem concerned. Like, oh, she she could she could be the one man to like you know to set off a nuke with her mind or something. And like that's great, but like they never, they never, they don't make any effort to explain how they would know that. Like, how would you know this one particular psychic is the danger? You know what I mean? Like, couldn't any of them be? Is it because she's the daughter of two psychics? Uh, like, how how would you know if you got? I don't know. So like, I'm not sure how they put that together exactly. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's a little just, thin. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's just real paint by numbers. It's the same issue in kind of like Stranger Things. It's like, well, what was your plan with the uh, with all these experiments and scientific? What, what yeah, what was your end goal? <laughs> right. Why are Other you than doing be this? evil? Either than yes. be evil. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really do a good job of explaining itself. And it's funny because Stranger Things obviously is inspired by Stephen King, uh, and Stephen King's uh, current cinematic works or adaptations are very much inspired by Stranger Things. You saw that in it. You see that in uh, this movie a little bit. It's not, not really Stranger Things esque, but I, I don't know. I, I can appreciate the modernization of the idea. It just feels a little clumsy sometimes, you know. Um, but for what it's worth, Firestarter works, right? If you if you have Peacock already, if you're already paying five dollars for that. <laughs> For Peacock, <laughs> then yeah, fire starters for you, man. Go go ahead. Um, I I cannot say this would be a fun experience in the theater. God, I feel like I'd be bored watching this on the big screen. It's just not very. I'd be it's mad not very cinematic. I paid, I'd be mad that I paid money to see it. Yeah, that's 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 the reason I ended up subbing for for Peacock. Uh, Peacock is four ninety nine for the premium membership, which I thought, well, that's cheaper than a movie ticket, and that's how these services get you. At least the small ones. That's that's what they do to draw you in. Hey, it's cheaper than a movie ticket. You get a month's worth of content. Why not pay it now and see if you like it? Uh, and I can tell you with confidence. I don't. Peacock sucks. <laughs> if you like The Office or Parks and Rec, Peacock is the platform for you. Other than that, I see no value over there. I don't know what they've got. Like, I guess they're still building. I did hear, uh, speaking of, of Ryan Johnson, I did hear he's got a show he's in the works on over there. Like he's some show he's creating and executive producing. So I, like, I guess they're building their content. But dude, for now, I, I would not encourage you to go get Peacock for this movie. Like it's not, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's... This is a little bit related to the streaming, but um, I was browsing through Amazon Prime last night, and they have a uh, a category now called Freebie, which is movies with ads. Oh, and <laughs> yeah. great, yeah, commercial and breaks of course, in the middle of my film. 
it's all it's all it's the good stuff. It's the stuff that you would want to see and probably put up with, like Logan, for instance, was oh, one of the ones on there. Like James the, Mangold film on there, you bastards. Yeah, oh. it's like, oh man, like yeah, I would really want to watch that, but now right. And and it's not even a, a you know the, they don't have Amazon Prime doesn't have like an ad tier. You're just like, you know, you want to watch yeah. it, you're gonna be you're gonna be watching. Right, it. you get it, you get in here and get ads, dude. I gotta know. Quick thing, I got. This is not at all related to films, but it, it, regarding streaming services and advertising, uh, I hopped on an American Airlines flight the other day, and they were like, "Hop on the Wi-Fi, you can watch free movies and entertainment or whatever." And movie hey, no, selection you, no, aside, you no, you the can't. second you get on the Wi-Fi, you are forced to watch a thirty-second ad for Marriott, and all I could think was like, "Oh my god, they are running thirty-second ads on the Wi-Fi for every single person that flies their airlines every day." Good God, the advertising money they're making off this garbage! I couldn't believe it. No option to skip. No option to cancel. Had to watch it. Ugh. Bleah. Anyway, uh, I, I guess we should get down to it. Andy, <laughs> any of those for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Would you recommend Firestarter? I would say save it for streaming. I would say if you're a fan of Stephen King or if you're a fan of the original and want to see how they've updated it. Um, it's not near as bad as it's, again, reflecting Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's a coherent film with, you know, three-act structure, mid- midpoint, uh, you know, the characters are fine. It's just, it's all done on a cheap budget. You know, the writing isn't as good as it could be, the the effects and steadying, and uh, it doesn't have the, the the true Hollywood treatment. If it is, we'd, we'd have a much better movie. Um, so it was fine. Otherwise, I'd say stick, skip it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. If you already pay for Peacock Premium, this is not like an additional expense okay. you need to take on it. That's right, take on your life. Go for it. Sure, it's ninety minutes. It'll be it'll be relaxed. Your parents will like watching it with you. Firestarter, it's fine. Do not go out of your way to spend money for this movie. Like it's it's just it's 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 mid is what it is. It's super mid. It's just it's just okay. It's just okay. It is it is a C plus. Like it, it's not even really a horror movie. That's the genre we've got listed. It's the genre IMDb listed, but like it's not scary. It's it's just it's it's fine. Yeah, I would I would encourage you to go seek out other. Uh, Stephen King adaptations. Uh, I'd tell you to watch Pet Cemetery over this. Like at least Pet Cemetery feels a little more cinematic and in its finer moments. At least those woods out out in Pet Cemetery are creepy, you know. Like, but yeah, at least kind of yeah. That's like, a great yeah. that's a great analogy because Pet Cemetery is that movie's got a lot of problems, but at least it's done. It's yeah, in the Hollywood tree. It's got a little tone. Being, yeah, like okay, yeah, Jason Clark's all right. Yeah, John Lithgow's okay. There's a couple decent. You know, there's a little bit of. A little, little bit scarier than this, yeah. I just, you know, that's that's Firestarter. It's all right. And and shout out to, uh, really quickly, shout out to the, the wonderful fans on Twitter. I mentioned last night that we were going to be reviewing this, uh, and I was told, "Wow, you're braver than me." <laughs> I, I I would never pay for for Peacock to watch this movie. Uh, I, I I don't think you need to. There's. I, I, I really think it should have been a series. Like if they they could have taken this property, expanded it a little bit, made it six or eight episodes, maybe if it took off, make a season two, like I think that would have been much more attractive. Like much sexier than just Firestarter yeah. the ninety minute film. If you don't have the the money to do it on the Hollywood budget, yeah, I think doing yeah. a series would have made more sense. Mm-hmm. The lack of like cinematic tone, I think, would have would have worked better in that in that, in that format. That's 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 just me. Anyway, uh, next up we have a segment I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, Andy, you want to take the uh, the title on this one? It's time for the death of cinema.
we're, we're going to be talking about uh, this article that came out in Variety this week. Where is the Marvel Cinematic Universe going? Only Kevin Feige knows for sure. Yes. Uh, I found this article uh, earlier this week. I sent it to Andy uh, feverishly one night. I was like, Andy, we need to talk about this in the show. I think this is great. Uh, there's not a lot to this headline, but when you start to look under the hood, it starts to get interesting. And I think that's that's why I want to talk about what's happening here. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in a funny spot between what they've got coming out in theaters, what they have coming to streaming, upcoming projects, projects in the past. These movies and shows are all dedicated to interweaving storytelling, right? What is it? What is it? Catherine Kennedy, Catherine Kennedy said ever about? present. Yes, ever-present storytelling, right? The Marvel Universe all has to lead into something. So if we have Captain America in one movie, we've got to have him either nodded to or acknowledged or pointed at or maybe even appearing in the next movie, right? We've got to build these properties on top of themselves. And for the past, you know, 25-ish or so movies, uh, Marvel's done a pretty good job of doing this in its previous phases. But now we are in what Disney and Marvel call phase four right this is right around when COVID started we've transitioned into a new world following the avengers endgame or really a, a drastically different one than we used to know and uh, now we have a lot of characters doing a lot of different things and marvel is building up its new properties by introducing new young actors and actresses to to uh, the, the the genre and and bringing in new people and new heroes and finding new folks but it's all a little disparate and, and 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 it might even be a little disconnected. And we've talked about on the last couple shows that like it doesn't seem like they've got a really central direction they're running in because out of all of these movies and shows that Marvel has come out with since 2019, almost all of them end in different places and none of them seem to be leading to any kind of central problem. See, Avengers, the sixth film in the Marvel franchise, ended, at least in its post-credit scene, with Thanos. So any comic book fan in the theater could have gone, oh, that's Thanos, and you could have gone home and Googled it, and that's Thanos. Its tenth film, Guardians of the Galaxy, ended with the Infinity Stones, and then told us that Thanos is looking for the Infinity Stones. All right, so four movies after you see Thanos, you see the Infinity Stones, now you know what he wants. And the next ten films all led into or pointed at or, or drove our characters towards Thanos, Finding the Infinity Stones, building up to Avengers Infinity War, following followed by Avengers Endgame, and had a very satisfying, overarching feeling that all of it was connected and that all of it was going somewhere. But now, Marvel has like 11 new properties out since then. And all of them end with different characters and different motivations, and none of them seem to tie into each other. It's kind of bananas. So, Andy, I've been talking about this a lot. Any thoughts before I jump into these actual... I want to run down the list here, like movies and shows, who's in them and where they're going. Because well, when you start it's, to listen to them, it's, 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 it's nuts. So, what's amazing about Marvel Phase 1 is that we, we got to Avengers in essentially five films. Like, Incredible Hulk kind of doesn't count. That was just kind of left over. That, that wasn't really, I don't think, part of the larger plan it just kind of they shoved it in there but we but we also had basically one movie a year when we first started iron man and then iron man 2 were the only film marvel films come out that year and then we got thor and captain america and by film five we're in the group the in the group film um yeah and we and we had introduced people like black widow and iron man 2 um you know we got some of these side characters and now we're (laughs) where's it what three four films into we're four films into Phase Four. Marvel, Marvel. Here's Have the count. Marvel, no, Marvel has no released, idea what we're doing. Yes, Marvel has released eleven different properties in eighteen months. And 10 of them have separate narrative threads that don't lead into each other yet. 
It's 10 different threads. Only two have actually led into one another, which I'll get into in a second. It's too much. <laughs> and it's, it seems like they don't know what they're doing. Like maybe they do. I, I there, there is a, there is a thread at the center of all of it. I, I want to get into that, but you mind if I, if I just start hitting these? Is that go ahead, I go ahead. Perfect. So, so these are our light spoilers for the, the previous Marvel properties in phase four. I, I doubt you care that much, but if you're really concerned, skip about five minutes ahead and I'll, I'll be past all this. First off, uh, in order of release, uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier Disney Plus streaming series ends with fake Captain America and fake Nick Fury, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who are hiring Florence Pugh's character to go kill Hawkeye, right? So that's two new antagonists, and Florence Pugh's character is a new hero. Uh, the Hawkeye show ends with Florence Pugh showing up, and also Wilson Fisk from the Daredevil Netflix show showing up, implying that you're bringing the Daredevil character, Charlie Cox, back, who also shows up in No Way Home in a brief cameo. Loki ends with Kang the Conqueror and an alternate Loki, and also the TVA, which is a whole, like, traveling through time organization that has not been referenced in any of these other properties. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings ends with Shang-Chi uh, and his wonderful sidekick going with one of the Doctor Strange characters through a portal to, to find more find out more about the Ten Rings, which are alien, and he implies that they're going to some kind of cosmos or something. They're calling out to the cosmos is what he says. Eternals ends with a bunch of gods and a giant stone obelisk like planted on Earth, and they're going to figure stuff out. Spider-Man No Way Home has people forgetting about our, our lead character, but Spider-Man's still being a thing. Moon Knight seemingly has no connection to any of this at all, but is totally its own thing. Multiverse of Madness introduces a new character right at the end. And then we also have Mrs. Marvel coming up. We've Miss Marvel. We've got Thor Love and Thunder coming around the corner. All of these seem to be narrative threads that aren't going anywhere. And it's like, wait a second. Like, who? what are the Eternals doing? Well, hold on. At the end of the Eternals, they, they mentioned the Black Knight and Blade. When's he coming in, if at all, right? Like, I, I can't. I can't keep up with everybody anymore. And there's no way people are doing this either. Eternals also has Thanos' brother Harry Styles show up, which is supposed to be a thing at some point. Um, I don't know, Andy. Am I, am I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of properties that could, I mean, they could be developed as their own, you know, short three to five film arc or something but yeah like i said we're missing an overall plan like we in phase one phase one it ends with avengers one phase two ends with avengers two phase three ends with you know the big infinity war endgame saga like we we were going places and now we were like i said four films in if uh if you count um uh, black widow spider-man God. Uh, Shang-Chi, Eternals. Shang yeah. And yeah. Eternals. Yeah, and and now and now Doctor Strange and that's five five films, that's five films right there. And yeah. we have no idea what the overall large plan there there are, there is talk of Kang the Conqueror being Right. The, I, it felt like from Loki Kang the Conqueror was going to be the thing, right? Like that seemed to be But he doesn't get to introduce until next summer in the the, yeah. Ant, the third Ant-Man movie. Quantumania, right, which is coming and is introducing a new character similar to America Chavez in Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. Uh, there's like eight different potential big bads here. Kang, you got Julie Louis-Dreyfus' Valentina, Arishem from Moon Knight, Kingpin from Daredevil. Uh, somebody said Dormammu from the Multiverse, which I thought they handled in Doctor Strange 1. There's like a bunch of different potential antagonists. 
like it doesn't feel like there's any grand design to tie all of these together. And like in the older Marvel in the older Marvel movies, it was a lot easier. You just had like the Tesseract, right? That was the thing for like six movies. Like you'd see that thing show up and you're like, oh hey, there's that thing. Like it was it was very simple, but this seems to be I, I don't know at least an issue for people trying to keep up like us so many variety points out here this could be a feature not a bug uh maybe disney marvel's just not going to try to keep all of this together maybe they're just going to run in every direction and have a content rich uh you know approach i i i i, I don't know man it just <laughs> I, seems I, like I think they I think don't people know what get fatigued doing, yeah I, I i it doesn't seem like a, a strong long-term any- strategy to me yeah, if anything, it also it also seems like um they they're they're getting together a bunch of young, very young uh heroes for a potential like junior Avengers or I forget what they're actually called, but people like America Chavez, uh Kid Loki, other uh one of the one of the people mentioned in Falcon Winter Soldier. So that that's another direction. But again, that's that's all speculation. There's been nothing in the films to point to like, well, this is our uh overall plan. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's the variety mentions that as well. The one conceivable thread through all of these is likely some kind of young Avengers uh, characters like America Chavez from Doctor Strange, as well as like, you know, uh, Wanda, Wanda Maximoff's two kids, Tommy and Billy. Uh, maybe, maybe Kid Loki. Yeah. Uh, Kate Bishop's character, uh, Haley Steinfeld's character, Kate Bishop and Hawkeye, Florence Pugh's new character, kind of a follow up Black Widow. Like that could all be going somewhere, and 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 they may be facing off against somebody like Kang the Conqueror, but yawn. Yeah, it just <laughs> seems like it just seems messy, you know. What? Like you you have so many different angles. You got you got Venom in the Spider Man universe now, according to a post credit scene. You got Morbius <laughs> flown out there. Have you seen this new? Have you seen this new meme? It's Morbin time. It's my favorite favorite new thing. <laughs> the, the, the other thing is. What's happening to our A-list characters? Like, did they all just retire? Like, what? Where is our next Iron Man or Iron Person film? Right. Like, what, what are we? Where's doing? our next like, Captain America? You know, like it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like Chris Hemsworth is going to do many more Thor movies. Uh, Guardians. This is their last one. Guardians three will be it. That seems very clear uh, from from uh, the people who work on that movie. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't see Tom Hiddleston making more, a whole lot more Loki, right? You probably get a couple more seasons or a movie out of him, and then he's gonna be like, I gotta go do other stuff. I, I, I this setup, this like soft handoff thing they're doing is is just kind of confusing. And I think a lot of times, if you're trying to make persistent content, you want to make it easy for consumers to see the through line. Like you, you need to be able to kind of quickly make decisions at the box office decide what you want to spend your money on and if it's confusing it's gonna be a lot easier to go see some mid-budget something than it is to see some complicated 28th film in the marvel movie continuation of a plot line nobody can keep up with i, I don't know it just it just feels loose feels loose andy and and I, I think i think that's worth talking about yeah well and and it's not even following the way comics do because comics will have you know their individual titles which will have their own storylines and then they'll have like the group up events like you know justice league things there's a thing called uh dark crisis happening uh, starting next month that's going to be a big event and all it's going to combine all all your characters like we don't really have any of that happening or at least it's not clearly happening but we also don't really see where our individual properties are going like uh i couldn't tell really see what the next step is in multiverse of madness for instance like i don't really know where we're going just in that series alone yeah and and it's important to remember, Multiverse of Madness 
was put in out of order, was put out out of order. Uh, that was supposed to come out before Spider-Man No Way Home. And it's weird because when you think about the ending to Spider-Man No Way Home, when they were having what Marvel defines as an incursion event and two universes are crashing into each other and cracking and, and, and things are coming over, that would have been a bigger deal if we'd seen Multiverse of Madness first. Like putting these out, filming these movies later and putting them out of order and adding scenes in the second act to try to tie them together and make it work is just it's clumsy and like I I it implies there's a lack of direction and yes this is Marvel who put together phases one through three but this is also Disney the studio that bungled Star Wars, um, I don't know, <laughs> it's just weird it's just weird so, um. I don't know. Keep an eye on Marvel, I guess. I, I, I don't know what they're doing next, but whatever it's going to be, I guess I guess we're going to watch it if it's in the theater. So, yeah. Yeah. Pr- yeah. Again, um, Multiverse of Madness has been a huge. It's made $700 million in two weeks. Um, it's probably going to be a billion-dollar property or close to it. Um, I mean, the superhero stuff is still really huge. So even if they don't exactly have a plan, you know, we're still going to go and watch it. Yeah, we sure are. So uh that's it i just wanted to talk about kind of where marvel's at Uh, it pairs really nicely with that star wars bit of news from earlier uh disney has got some stuff to sort out but whatever happens they're going to be continue killing it on streaming services so good for them good good for the house of mouse uh with that we should move on to our final review of the episode i'm excited to talk about this one Uh, this is a movie i i thought we had done on the podcast and then we went back and looked and confirmed we never did um, but we both seen it and it was really, it was really, really a fun rewatch. So, uh, Andy's going to take the summer on it. Andy, please take it away. Ex Machina. How long until we get to this estate? We've been flying over this estate for the past two hours. So in preparation for the new horror film, Men, which comes out this Friday, d- directed by Alex Garland, we decided to take, uh, a trip down Cinema Lane and and review uh, his very first film from 2014, Ex Machina, which uh, stars Domino Gleason, Alicia Vikander, and Oscar Isaac. Um, so Alex Garland is also probably best known for the writer of 28 Days Later. Uh, so he, yeah, I he, didn't know that. I, I that was a good find here. Going back yeah, to that, that. exactly. He uh, yeah, he's done a lot of horror writing. Um, and in the last, you know, eight years or so has gotten into directing. Um, so his first film uh, stars, like I said, Domino Gleason uh, plays this young software engineer who wins some sort of lottery thing at his very big, like, Facebook-esque, Google-esque company. Uh, he gets flown out via helicopter to a remote location uh, to meet the the founder and, you know, self-proclaimed, like, genius, uh, played by Oscar Isaac, uh, named Nathan, uh, who's very much this combination of like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, um, kind of self-absorbed um, tech tech guy, and he doesn't really know what he's doing out there. Domino Gleason's character, Caleb, he 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 just know that he's won this thing. He's out here. He's going to meet the founder, and they're to spend a week with the founder. Yeah, whatever yeah. That means. yeah. And finally, uh, he's like, "Well, what are we doing out here?" And uh, he's been essentially chosen to test an AI, like. Uh, Oscar Isaac's character has said, I've built what, you know, kind of the next phase of human evolution. I've built what I believe to be what might be an AI, but we have to, we have to test it. It has to pass the Turing test to see, you know, can it convince you that it's more than a, a machine? The AI is played by Alicia Vikander and it's named Ava and is a Android 
um, you know, very hu- humanoid robot that has these cool, like, see-through arms and, and torso. Um, and they, ha- they have dialogue, they have meetings, and it's not super clear what's supposed to be happening or how they're supposed to be test- testing. But we know not all is right uh in this this setting uh something's not quite right nothing there's something not quite right about nathan and the situation and uh caleb is very suspicious about what's going on but at the same time he he's just amazed to be in in the presence of this uh this founder of their uh giant tech company so that's our setup uh zach what'd you think uh, so like I said, we, we both seen this film previous. This was my second time sitting down watching it. And it's a bummer because uh, it's only available for rentals. <laughs> you got you to gotta pay three bucks to rent this movie. Or interestingly enough, if you have Showtime or if you have a your, your local uh, library card, you can you can get this online at your, your local uh, canopy.com. You can put in your library card number and it'll let you rent this and watch this for free. I couldn't find mine. I have one, believe it or not. So you can watch this if you are a patron of your local library. Uh, this movie is an interesting rewatch. Uh, I was glad to sit back and rewatch it. I actually feel like I saw some seams. I, thought I saw problems in it. Uh, but I also saw things that I, I really appreciated more, much more in its music uh, and its tone, and and its early work from from this director, Alex Garland. This is his first directed feature. Uh, like you said, he is primarily a writer before this. He also wrote The Beach, uh, which is a film Leonardo DiCaprio's in. He wrote Sunshine, another Danny Boyle movie, followed Twenty Eight Days Later. Um, and before this, he hadn't done anything. Apparently, the reason Alex Garland got into directing was uh, he just felt like other directors weren't getting the tone of his writing the way he wanted to do it in his head. And this movie handles tone in a really patient way. It's like a surgeon with a knife. Like it, every, every shot feels very locked down and grounded. Everything feels cut very efficiently and it's hitting really, really kind of particular emotional moments right when it needs to. And it's, it's, it's clear that this movie put Alex Garland on the map for a reason. Like I know he had obviously a writer before, but um, there's a reason he's got a third film coming out now. And it's because of the success of this film, but won an Academy award actually uh, that I'm excited to talk about, but Is that for visual effects. It was, yeah. So uh, this movie cost $15 million to make, and it won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Uh, it went up against uh, the Mad Max Fury Road, which is insane that it beat Mad Max Fury Road. And even crazier, it beat The Force Awakens, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, for Best Visual Effects. It was a huge upset. Star Wars, The Force Awakens cost $200 million. And also, both films, Star Wars and uh, this movie, starred Dom Hall Gleason and Oscar Isaac. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> although in that. completely opposing roles, yeah, one's the protagonist, one's the antagonist, but um, yeah, just just kind of weird. I and it's funny because look at it now. Uh, apparently, the 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 Academy said this one best visual effects because it was more personal, I guess, like the the Ava stuff, right? The Android stuff, that stuff was a bit more body horror and worked better. But like, dude, I I don't, I don't know if it should have beat Star Wars. <laughs> now, some of the effects now look like some John Wick stuff, man. They're they're pretty they're pretty hokey, but. Uh, you know, either way, uh, just just a bit behind this film. Uh, what did you, I, don't, I don't know, Andy, you you looking back and you visiting again? What what did you think? What did you catch? You didn't notice before? I think one of the things that's amazing to me is that how small it is in scale. Like, I mean, I mean, I was surprised that it cost as much as it did because there's literally three people in this movie. 
and yeah. kind of kind of for a uh, fourth person in a much smaller role, but basically three main characters, and it's all in this one this compound. You know, there's not big crowd scenes or or anything like that. It's it's all in right. secluded all sets, and it would work. Yeah, 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 and and it totally works because you have this dynamic between uh, Nathan and Caleb, and then Caleb and Ava, and then the the very mysterious relationship between Ava and nathan and you don't really know who's telling the truth you don't know who to believe you don't know who's playing playing who it's kind of a cat and mouse guessing game yeah um and like and you know nathan is untrustworthy from the beginning like he he's so he does this really annoying thing where he he constantly misquotes uh things like caleb says something about like you know, this isn't the history of men; it's the history of gods at this point. And then Nathan keeps quoting him as saying, "He was like, Caleb looked at me and said, 'You're a god.'" And he's like, "That's that's not what I said at it's all." Not what you I know? said. Um, yeah, you know, so it's, uh, he's very self-absorbed uh, person like that. Yeah, Nathan is this wonderful. Oscar Isaac plays Nathan. This this wonderful kind of kooky scientist guy who's off doing his own thing. Likes to dr- work hard and play hard. He's a hard worker, and he likes to drink a lot at night, and then wake up in the morning and. Hit the hit the boxing bag and get to work. Uh, apparently, Oscar Isaac said he he his performance was inspired by uh, what he what he saw as like mad, tortured, flawed geniuses like uh, chess champion Bobby Fischer, or uniquely film director Stanley Kubrick. Who he claims he based the beard on. That's why he's got a big beard in this movie is Kubrick because he thought <laughs> this is probably how Kubrick was in real life, like just kind of a wacky creator. But uh, Nathan uniquely is like is like a monk on a mountain. Like Caleb kind of comes to him. They've got this funny scene at the start where he's flying over this giant property in a, ho- in a helicopter. And Caleb says, you know, we, we, we're flying for two hours. Where is this place? And the copter pilot says, well, we've, we've been here for two hours. This is all his property. Uh, they shot this house, this exteriors at this uh, wonderful little hotel up out in Norway. I say hotel and it sounds cheap. It's not. It's super nice. It's like this little compound. Uh, you can actually rent a room there. I looked it up. It's about five grand a night. <laughs> <laughs> but you could you could totally go stay where they shot Ex Machina, uh, and Caleb is is just really kind of dismissive. Like he's doing his own thing, and he he presents his kind of nice. He presents his hey, we're just hanging out here, uh, but I need you to sign this incredibly invasive NDA that's gonna da- track your data for the rest of your life to make sure you never ever talk about this thing that we're doing here. Like it's it's really kooky and weird. Once he agrees to that, Caleb goes in to meet Ava. This, this exciting new AI. Uh, and then he finds out when the power goes out that Nathan is not who he seems. And that's when we get the the interesting drama in the film, when our AI tells us, hey, the human here, he's lying to you. He's not who he says he is. And now our, our human kind of Caleb t- becomes the test subject. And suddenly he has to decide like what is real and what isn't. And uh it makes for some really good, quiet, slow drama. A lot of people standing around not saying anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, it works real good, man. It's bold cinema. And it, it's a real strong showing for an otherwise first-time director. Right, and I think w- what else is interesting about all that is there's this certain um, sexuality that's uh, element that's in place where they've made the, the robot Ava very seductive-looking, like she's... Very attractive. Played by this is the first time I saw I took notice of Alicia Vikander. I hadn't seen her or anything before, before this. Before Tomb Raider, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was uh, Ex Machina. Which she's yeah. great in, by the way. I, I'm not I'm not saying that to be funny. She's she's really good in this movie. Um, but you know, she's she's very she's attractive and she's you know, she kind of flirts with, with Caleb. 
at the same time. And so like, that's weird because <laughs> there's this like human robot love story element uh, to it. But, um, but at the same, same time, you don't know, it, which brings up a lot of great questions, which is like, why, why is Nathan building robots that are so sexual? You know, cause they, they bring up, you know, you know, Caleb asks like, you know, are there basically are there pleasure models and Caleb's like yeah, yeah of, of course why what what else why else would we build it um why else would to be alive so it's there's very weird like control thing there's you know themes of control and power are part of what's going on in on this film yes uh in between these these kind of Ava sessions in which there are seven in which uh, Caleb is sitting down and talking to Ava uh, they they're intercut with like these big title cards that pop up which are really really odd and uniquely out of place I think annihilation does the same thing has cut title cards it cuts to and I wonder if men will do the same thing um in between these scenes Caleb will talk to Nathan Nathan will talk to Caleb uh, there may be some reviewing of security footage, lots of staring in the mirror and deciding what does it mean to have meaning. In between that stuff, you get a lot of existential thought, right? What is it? What does it mean to be a robot, to experience consciousness, to experience pleasure? And a lot of that conversation is really thoughtful, like really, really sit there and kind of twirl your mustache kind of stuff. Um, because, yeah, it, it, it questions, okay, well, why why would you make a robot female and, and we're male? You know, does it make a difference? Why does a robot need to have sexuality or attempt to experience Experience sexuality. What does that, what does that do to the human condition? Like, what, are are people driven by that? Is that is that the reason we talk to one another? Is it nature versus nurture? Like that stuff's all interesting, and that's that's where the writing really shines. Alex Garland's ability to sit down and put a lot of these thoughts on paper, I think, is the kind of thinking that makes other previous works of his, like Twenty Eight Days Later and Sunshine, so captivating. Um, the script is real tight, like, and it's real effective, and. Ex Machina like almost plays like a student film because it's Alex Garland's first 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 swing in the director chair, but it is it is such an incredibly like conditioned and patient response to a limited budget. Like I, I, this movie, it was probably shot for the same budget as like Firestarter, and this is so much better. Literally won an Academy Award, like simply because of its display of presentation. Even if it doesn't spend that much money, the way it's put together, the way the story is told, like makes it so much more special. And Garland like manages to pull a rabbit out of a hat for his, for his first swing at it, which is bananas. Although word on the street is, I did hear, I was looking at trivia for one of his previous writings. He wrote the movie Dread, starring Carl Urban, came out in 2012. Apparently, Carl Urban claims Garland directed most of that film. Apparently, he was on set literally calling shots and while like, the director was doing other stuff. So like, there's there's some some word that like this is kind of his second outing, but... Uh, that movie is also super well received. So, you know, <laughs> good, good for Alex Garland. Uh, yeah, the, I, yeah, the, the sci-fi writing and sci-fi ideas are, are part of what uh, makes this so so good. And if you've seen his second film, Annihilation, uh, same thing. Similar, really exciting new sci-fi ideas and not tropes that you haven't seen. Which is funny because this movie l- looks like it's going down certain tropes and you... And, uh, and then it takes kind of some wild turns. And I was watching it with someone who was like, oh, of course, like XYZ is going to happen. And then that's totally not what happens. You're like, ha. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, a quick mention for performances. I know we already talked about him. Alicia Vikander is great. This is the first role that I remember ever seeing her in. Um, she really gets to evolve as Ava outside of just being kind of this like very simple robot with some complex looks uh complex looking cgi uh animatronics you know running under the skin uh she starts to dress up and kind of come into her own as an individual which 
obviously is an important part of the plot as she grows, the film grows. Uh, and, and I like that. Like it, it gives her the opportunity to kind of stretch out a little bit. When you when you first meet Ava, she's very robotic. She's very cold. And over these sessions, as she gets to know Caleb, she really comes around and starts to have more expression, micro expression. Like I think that's all very controlled performance. And considering Garland, again, first real time the director's chair, probably didn't have a lot of experience directing actors. Her and Oscar Isaac do a really great job of holding that down. Domhnall Gleeson's a little weak. And I think it's just because tonally, some scenes, I don't know, it cuts back to him and the way he says a phrase or the way he turns out a sentence just doesn't come off quite right. I know he's doing an accent. He's not traditionally from uh, America. He's Irish. But, but yeah, but neither is Lisa Vikander, right? Like, and she, uh, I don't think, maybe, maybe she has like a full, full, full-throated Western accent. But, no, I don't think she's uh, American. Yeah, he, he's a little loose and it's a shame because otherwise I really like him and stuff. But, but between the three of them, like it holds down just fine. Um yeah, and and I, I I like that it feels so small. Like that, there's often you don't see a lot of the outside because uh, this place is all like a, a research facility and it's all it's all stone walls and no windows. But then you know, cut to outside between scenes and it's like beautiful sunshine and like glorious you know Norway. Like looks great, mm-hmm. uh, very pretty presentation. Yeah, it just shows how much you can do with a great with a great concept and great great writing in that you don't need a hundred million dollars to make a great film no i don't mean to put you on the spot but i'm curious do you know anything about who did the music because the music's pretty good i don't i know it's uh, i just looked him up but uh, jeff barrow who's also the composer of annihilation makes sense and ben salisbury who also did annihilation okay yes <laughs> so alex garland's got his composers that's great uh i think they're also both doing men uh so good for them um Yep, they both did the soundtrack for men. All right, so so I, I know where our music's coming from there. Decent music. Uh, it's small, it's subdued, but it totally works. Um, X-Pac is a lot of fun. I'm glad we get to sit down and watch it again. I wish I had more to say about it, but I'm starting to feel like I'm going around in circles. So with that in mind, Andy, are you ready for recommendations? I am indeed. Andy, would you recommend uh, X Machina for $3 on VOD? <laughs> Absolutely. This is uh, one of my favorite kind of modern sci-fi stories. Uh very exciting premise, interesting characters, goes in a lot of different directions than what you think and does that thing that sci-fi is meant to do, which is kind of ask deeper questions about uh, humanity. Um, really exciting to see. Definitely see this b- uh, before you see Annihilation, which is the second movie, and we'll see what he kind of turns out with uh, men because that looks really kind of surreal and bizarre. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Whereas Firestarter, I was like, don't go out of your way. Don't don't spend the extra money. If you're a sci-fi fan and you haven't seen Ex Machina, like spend the $3. It's totally worth it, I promise. Uh, it's it's a little under two hours. It does start to feel a little long coming out of its first act because that first act is where you get all of the exciting intro, introduction stuff. Going out to Nathan's facility, meeting Nathan, meeting Ava, finding out about more about Caleb. Like You get a lot of good stuff. And that middle segment does feel like it sags. But it comes around at the end and you get a really satisfying conclusion. Like Ex Machina is a ton of fun. Put Alex Garland on the map. Also go see Annihilation if you haven't seen it. And go see Men this week. uh, Coming out in just three days. I'm excited to watch that. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it whenever we get around to it on the show. Uh, There's a little bit of of back and forth on whether or not we're going to do a show next week. Because I'm going out of town for my sister's wedding. Happy, uh, happy, happy happy wedding, Tara. Very excited. Congrats. Hope you hear this shout out maybe. And... uh, yeah, I, I I think we're gonna do one next week. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking so for sure. Um, 
Speaking of what, so he said, we'll be watching Men, uh, which opens in theaters uh, this Friday. Theaters only, not streaming anywhere. Um, and we're going to be <laughs> thinking about what else uh, to watch something on streaming. We did want to mention that uh, Jackass 4.5 will be opening up May 20th this Friday on Netflix. So what this is, is Jack. it's basically Jackass Forever, which we reviewed a few uh, couple months, month or two ago. And it's with some additional footage, some additional stunts. Um, if you really want to have some more gross out uh, humor, but that should be a lot of fun. Yes, uh, true to the other Jackass films. They did this with Jackass 1.5, 2.5, 3.5. They shoot a ton of footage for Jackass movies and only use parts of it to make the actual film. So they release the 0.5 edition as kind of a additional film. Here's other stunts that didn't make the movie. Often will be cut in with documentary style interviews with the cast talking about experiences shooting the film or like funny reflections on a stunt they did. Uh, looking forward to that like I said at the top of the show it should be coming out on Paramount Plus but Netflix paid a bunch of money for it it will be on Netflix May 20th also looking forward to that new Chippendale movie on Disney Plus I know Andy doesn't really want to watch it but I keep hearing (laughs) it might be good and I'm a sucker for I don't know I'm a sucker for Who Framed Roger Rabbit supposedly it's a lot like that could be good Uh, we may watch that but I think if we do end up doing a show next week we may end up doing it on Wednesday just so I can get back in town get myself together and go catch a screening of men uh, and that's what we got going on. So keep it here on Offscript for more. And if you like what we're doing on Offscript, you can follow us on Facebook where we live stream our show every single Tuesday, except maybe next week if we do it on Wednesday. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube where we upload our live streams. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and iHeartMedia and all the usual places you find your podcasts. We're on the internet at uh, www.offscriptfilmreview.com and you can mail us correspondence, tell us what you thought of the show, tell us what you think what's going on, exciting news, movie reviews, I don't, you know, just, 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 just kind of movie stuff in general. You can send that to mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and we uh, will read it and get back to you. I might even read it on the show if it's a good conversation. Who knows? Uh, but the biggest thing you could do for us if you liked watching the show or listening to the show or just, you know, just, just, just spending time with the show, uh, you could subscribe. Subscribe to get new episodes of Offscript delivered straight to your phone every single Tuesday and uh, leave us a rating and review while you're at it. It would be huge. It would be tremendous. You have no idea how much it helps us and I'd really appreciate it. Andy would too. Uh, I think that just about covers it from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.